This is John DeMello, CEO of the Mountain Apple Company. Join me in watching Carrie and Evan on Greater Good TV. Greater Good TV is proudly presented by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Greater Good TV, with your hosts Carrie and Evan Leong. Leaders inspiring leaders. A place where financial profit and social responsibility go hand in hand for Hawaii's greater good. Today's special guest is John DeMello, founder and CEO of the Mountain Apple Company. Thank Welcome you. to our show, John. Thank you for inviting me. You know, your company does distribution, publishing, uh, licensing, talent, talent management. What do you focus on? I mean, there's so many realms of your company. Um, and I, the creative part of it is, is the depth for me. Now, management is kind of babysitting. That's just keeping the calendar and making sure someone puts their clothes on and gets to a location. So I stay kind of uh, distant from that. I'm in the promotion of it. I'm in the development of it. I'm in the production of it, the creative side of it. I'm taking a raw talent, taking something and making something out of out of, out of nothing, so to speak. So. so if you take a look at what you're doing in terms of distribution and, and producing music, there are other uh, labels and companies in the market that do that. How come you folks are number one? Um, because we have the same attitude you have. I'm just aggressive, and you two are aggressive, too. I, I, I just don't sit well. I, I love to go after more and more. I want to do a better job at it tomorrow than I did yesterday. Um, it's, it's a world community now with the Internet. It's, it's um, wide open. And um, our Hawaiian music, our Hawaiian culture is getting very, very far into the universe at this point with all our communication skills. Do you think that the success has to do with your unique style, though? Because I did read that you try to incorporate the artists into the production of creating their cases or the music and things like that. Um, that that's correct. The, the first thing I normally talk to an artist about, and, and it goes through several interview processes before I actually decide or we connect as, as a group that's going to make something. And one of my first questions is, I will adapt to the way you work because I've worked in every which way there is. I mean, you know, some people come in, they write lyrics only, no music. Some people write everything. Some people do music, no lyrics. Some people like to record all at once, sometimes overdubbing. And I say, that's not important. Whatever you do, I will adapt to your method of creation. So it is kind of unique in that. And one of my favorite tricks is to, I like to be in the room, in the recording room, right in front of the player you know, and sitting in a chair. It sometimes makes them nervous in the beginning, but then it's like a comfort zone because then, then we have contact and we can feel each other's energy as we're making music or making something happen. But isn't that exhausting on your time if you're always in the recording studio? Um, yes, um, and normally recording studios don't have windows, and so you're sort of, you know, you have no idea unless there's a clock in front of you, and I, I try not to ever have a, a real clock in front of anyone. Um, uh, it's, it's exhausting, but um, it's also hunting for something. And when, once you find the creative juice and the right formulas, um, time flies. You, you, you have no idea how much time you spend in there. And sometimes it's a day and a half, and I, don't, I didn't even know it. So how much of this is skill, and then how much of it is passion? Um, skill comes from doing it for a long time a, a lot of different ways. But you're kind of gifted, right? I mean, you, um, not everyone can do music. Not everybody can do music or, or 
or connect the dots, as I call it, music and the art. It's, it's, you know, it's a, a total art form. It's not just notes, music, and singing a song. It's presentation. It's how, it's, it's how the singer looks, how the, how, what that singer, male or female, projects, the charisma part of it all. So that, that is a big part of all the whole equation. Um, I always tell an artist that it's, it's basically, you know, 80% attitude and um, about 10% aptitude, the ability to do it, and then about 10% magic, just timing, things have to be just right and everything. But in so many cases that I come up against, it's, it's somebody that has an attitude, that has a will to do something. And they're, they're, they, they're stronger than that, and sometimes their craft, their music, but they'll still win if they continually focus and move towards their goal, which is their attitude. I want to do this. That's the most important thing I look into an artist and find. So it seems like you coached these artists, but over the past few decades, what have you done to coach yourself to get to the level you're at today? It's funny because, you know, it's, it's an equal exchange. And for students, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting process going to school. Now, when I went to school, I learned as much from my fellow students than my professors, probably much more actually. And watching, you know, my age, you know, uh, devour what is being given to us in in teachings and lessons and experience, and watching how other people are feeling and and accepting it and applying it to life, you know, because in an environment there will be a hundred people, and eighty of those are like the elite, most powerful, you know, creative, they have talent, they have unbelievable things there, but yet some of, some of the less, lesser of that 80, the four or five that aren't in that 80, have a much stronger attitude of, of accomplishing and applying this to their life. And I found sometimes that people that really aren't quite as talented as the person next door have made it even stronger because of their attitude and wanting to do something. So Mountain Apple Company is a business, obviously. It's a thriving business. You're an artist. Typically, for artists, they're not necessarily known for their business skills. Right. How do you bridge that gap? Um, I was sort of born into that. Um, my father and some of his associates were definitely left and right brain people in different areas. I sort of got a little bit. I love, I love the corporate corporate juggling game. And did it also have a lot to do with growing up in the environment? Because your father was also in music of Polynesia. Right. He had his business. It was a really large business in Hawaii with he also music. Vice, also vice president of a, of a very famous advertising agency. So he had, he had both the commercial side of the mind and the creative side of the mind. And he merged the two very well. You went to a lot of these business meetings, right? When you were growing Very up? much so. When I came back from college, I had all the papers I needed to be, you know, an artiste or musician or whatever I wanted to do. And I came home, you know, going, okay, what's next, okay? <laughs> and what happened was a hui of men, one generation above me, pulled me in to their group. It was five business people, very known, powerful business people, and they taught me over a period of about three years, and I call this, that part of my life, I call my formal education. They were the ones that actually helped me apply all this knowledge I got in school and apply it to real life and make it palatable for people and such. Coming up, John shares what he feels was key in his success. So where do you think we'll be 20 years from now? Be right here working on this lawnmower. 
Do you think we're saving enough for retirement? Well, maybe it's time we find somebody to help us. Maybe it's time we buy a home. Do you believe anything is possible? I do. I work at Earthlink. I believe internet good can defeat internet evil. A world without spyware, viruses, or online identity theft. I believe in a place where our information can be safe. I won't stop fighting until we get there. We work at Earthlink. And we're making unbelievable things happen every day. It's time to start believing. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Order now and get Earthlink for $29.95 for six months. education is when the hui took you in and you know really got you involved in their business ventures would you say street smarts or book smarts or being in the classroom street smarts okay it, it takes all the books it takes all the schooling and it takes everything to get it down but in the end um, it's got to be street smarts okay I came out of my school even the music part of it and the art part both parts with with a kind of a, no 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 you're not supposed to make money at this this is the art okay you're not supposed because first day in school and you know I said well what do you want to be when you grow up I want to be rich and famous and be a famous musician you know some guy holds his hand up and you know everybody goes you know because they teach us not to do that in school it's academia it's just normal You've got to have the books, but you've got to then be able to turn those book knowledge and all the other knowledge you've gained with people and whatnot and apply it to yourself and your life. And that's the trick of it all. When and they put this um, Cooper Hui together, was it to do real estate development, projects, yes. things like that? Yes. And so that was a little different from art. Yes. But you also knew that you'd be developing your business skills? Yes. Okay, um, there were accountants that took me under their wing, taught me how to count. I, I knew how to count already, but they were teaching me the real thing. There were tax people. There were all sorts of planning, and, and I was privy to all that. I got to see all this in the ground stages of different projects, okay? And that, it's all together. I mean, you know, when you say artist, you think of a guy that has a ponytail and funny glasses <laughs> and, and so on, but an artist is a nurse. 
An artist is a mother that has children. That's an art form in itself, okay? Um, a man behind um, a, a taxi is an artist in, in way, shape, or form. If he can get you 25 blocks in 10 minutes, that's an art form. I mean, even though his head's screaming, his horn's going, and everything's going, art is just what we do as an individual. And I think this Hui saw that I was very interested in applying what I knew to life. The Brothers Casamara, that was your first, I guess, band that you took or started the Mountain Apple Company with. What was that meeting like and how old were you when you started with them? I was about 23, I think, 24. Um, it, was, it was a natural thing. How old were they at that time? They were about the same age, okay. uh, a year younger maybe. You know, and um, they had just come out of Sunday Manoa with Peter Moon and a humongous success, mm -hmm. huge success, and started the Renaissance. Well, they didn't start it, but they really nailed it into place, the Renaissance of music, okay? And um, they were just out of a job, and I saw the opportunity, my father did too, of, of, of making them into a, a strong, I, I saw Sunday Manoa many, many times, and Peter is brilliant, okay, Peter Moon is brilliant on the ukulele and such, but he does not sing, and Robert Rowan was singing, and Roland was fabulous on the guitar, and Robert was incredible on the bass, plus Robert had the patter to carry the show, so it was just natural that those two and their brothers, mm -hmm. and you know, when your brothers, you know, they're, they're, they're connected. You know, how did you get started, and how was the representation, and... It was nervous, you know. Everybody was nervous, you know. Um, we were young, and um, and they had had kind of the rug pulled out from under them and such like that. But we signed them up. We made um, their first two albums, and the irony of it all is, one year to the day, they were back at the Prow Lounge as the Brothers Casimero instead of Sunday Manoa. And the Prow Lounge is the Esprit today at the Sheraton. Okay, so um, it was nervous. How have you kept? the relationship with the brothers Casimero over this amount of time because typically you know typically, artists move and yeah. companies move and so on but that's been decades right decades it's been 30 years and we've done about 37 albums together um, we just felt good it took probably a year to get comfortable with each other's attitudes and our abilities and what we could do and we just felt good together and at those, in those days, I was traveling everywhere with them. I was also handling one other act called Booga Booga, which was a comedy team, a theatrical comedy team, which was Rap Replinger, Ed Cahay, and James Grant Benton. Um, so those two groups, I would take out on the road, go outer islands and do tours and uh, hotels and such like that. And just Robert and Roland and I became very close. And one of their major assets today um, and one of the best things in their life is their intellectual property is all under the Mountain Apple umbrella. So they're not, you know, with that label or that label or that distributor or that source or anything like that. They're all together and it's just all together and, and, and perfect. And, and it grew and, it, and it, the trust got better and, um, and we understood what our abilities were. Okay, and, uh, and such. And each, the three of us, each of us do something that is very different in, in our hui, the three of us, but it works. If tomorrow music was no longer an option, you could not do what you're doing today, what would you do? Brain surgery? <laughs> <laughs> no. My theory is if someone hit the switch and, and turned music off and they made music illegal, I believe the world would probably last five days and it would disintegrate. Um, 
It, music is something, is, a, is something that is a fiber that goes through us all, every person. Now, there are so many types of music, and, you know, and people are in their niche. But if you took that away, if you silenced all the elevators, all the hotel lobbies, and you made it illegal, and it had to be digital black, as we would call it in the audio world, no sound at all, we would be at war. We would be at global conflict in a matter of days. That's my theory. I'm not sure if that would happen. So if there was no music, though, for you, what would you be doing professionally or just with your time, your life? I'd be drawing pictures in, on the beach with a stick in the sand. If I didn't have paint, if I didn't have something, I'd be painting or I'd be, uh, if we had computers, I'd be messing around with computers. I love computers and things like that. When you came back from college, you had a gallery of all of your paintings and you sold them for about 1500 to 2000 right? Yes. Now it's worth millions because, you know, it's rare to find one of your paintings. I guess. <laughs> at, at this very nice party I went to last week, um, there was two people in there that I hadn't seen for quite a while that collected my work when I came back from college and I offered to buy it back from him and he says not in your life it's gone through two divorces I gave up a Jaguar I gave up three or four my major cool items that I've collected but I held on to your paintings John <laughs> and I said I'll buy them back for twice as much as you bought them for I said I only bought them for $40 <laughs> stay tuned as John reminisces about one of his favorite moments with legend Brudda is I was sobbing after 30 seconds, going, no, but it's your music that they want. It's not me, you know? <laughs> and there were some great, great moments with that, that man. Hi, I'm Richard Lewis, CEO of Core Systems Hawaii, Hawaii's data storage experts. For over 18 years, we've been helping businesses protect their critical data with enterprise IT systems. We've seen all types of service interruptions, from power outages to simple human errors. Core Systems now provides a local disaster recovery managed service utilizing our experience in storage and server virtualization. Call us at 440-5000 to ensure that your data will be there when you need it most. Need help staffing your business? Listen to what some of Hawaii's top employers say about Midweek and the Star Bulletin's Star Classifieds. We're currently expanding and Star Classified has helped us tremendously with our recruiting efforts. Not only did they bring a quantity of applicants, um, they also brought the quality that we were looking for. Better by far, five to four stars, star classified. Hey, did our banker get back to us on those ideas to streamline our cash flow? <sighs> yeah, that's what I thought. You know, maybe we need a bank that actually cares about our business. And I've got Grace working on payroll, because I'm going to need it for... You're not going to believe this. Do you know any good business bankers? Do you believe anything is possible? I do. I work at Earthlink. I believe internet good can defeat internet evil. A world without spyware, viruses, or online identity theft. I believe in a place where our information can be safe. I won't stop fighting until we get there. We work at Earthlink. And we're making unbelievable things happen every day. It's time to start believing. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Order now and get Earthlink for $29.95 for six months. When in your career did you start giving back, giving back to the community, getting involved, using your business to make a difference? Um, early. 
I realized that there was a there had to be a sense of community. We're 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 a we're a tribe. You know, we're a, we're a, we're a giant tribe now. The whole world is one tribe. You know, and as on the internet, as we start to see these other cultures, we're starting to see how close they are to us. Now they may have, you know. They may call red a different color, or it may be something different to them, or they may be able to say things that we can't say, or whatever. Okay, but there's a sense of community. There's a, a sense of camaraderie that that has to be. And in the arts, it's very uh, strong, prevalent, and it's right there. So um, before I was 30, I was giving lots back to the community. I thought. Now, maybe some people don't, but I, I do. So what about the um, Nature Conservancy project that you worked on? The Nature Conservancy had a 100-year birthday, okay? And they'd been in Hawaii for 100 years. And, and the, um, the director and the president approached me, and they said, we want to do a CD. I turned it around after just a few minutes and said, why don't we do a DVD with pictures and audio and showing some of the things that you folks represent? The, the birds that no longer exist, or there's only two of these specific birds in the whole world, and they know where they are in Molokai, in this reserve. We will never sell it. We are going to give them the way to whoever asks, whoever asks, has one. And um, they, they went, um, and it took, it took only 20 minutes to, for them to say, never thought of a DVD, that sounds great. They went out in about a month and a half and they ordered, I think, another 10,000 and, and those are all gone too. And that was a community service, and that was a two and a half year job. Brother is, because everybody loves him and knows his name, are you able to share your favorite memory that you shared with him? Uh, yeah. Um, often I would, um, yeah, three or four times a year he would end up in the hospital. Now, to that, that is like we're, we're trembling in our shoes, okay? That to him was the Four Seasons Hotel. He would, you know, he would check in and they'd take care of him. He, you know, food, everything, it was right there. Um, because of his size, they put him in this wing that's for obesity and they have these like four inch galvanized pipes, okay, around his bed and then a chain with a, with a triangle on it. So he's laying there in bed with a motorized back and all that stuff, but he can grab this chain and he can pull his weight up and shift it, okay? But this is like a jungle gym, okay? Now, Israel did die at 1,000 pounds. This was 10 years ago, next year. Um, this was towards the end of his life and he was pretty big. So he was in this bed with this jungle gym built around it. Now this, this jungle gym, again, four inch galvanized pipes all the way around, like a box, a bed. I was sitting at his feet, and I, I'm not comfortable in a meeting when I can't see someone's face, you know, and Israel was back like this, you know, and such like that, and I was trying to, he wanted to talk about some things, and I, I wanted to talk about some things, and we just, I, I there was no contact, I was, I was looking at his feet, he was, he was looking at the ceiling, okay, so I, I realized this after about five minutes, and I said, Israel, move over. He grabbed his thing, moved over. I climbed up in bed with him and pushed myself right up so our heads were right on the pillow, okay? My feet probably stopped at his waist, okay? And at least we were looking at the ceiling together and we could talk and then every now and then go like this and we could see each other, 
okay? And I think that was one of the, the, one of the coolest events because when the nurses walked in and saw this, they would just go, what's happening? <laughs> but um, it was Israel. And, it was a special uh, moment. That was a special moment. And I had a lot of special moments with Israel. He was the first one to call me in the morning with a joke and wake me up at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning. And he was the last one to call me uh, at night. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. He's the first one ever to call me at 2.30 in the morning, sobbing uncontrollably, thanking me for what I had done for his life. And within 30 seconds, we were both just a mess on the phone, going, no, 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 it was you, it was you. He goes, no, it was you, Bob, it was you, Bob. He's really the first artist that has just, you know, on the phone, called me up and said, I had to call you and say, you've done so much for me. Thank you so much. I just appreciate it. You teach me how to write. You teach me how to play. You teach me, you show me my music. And you're, you're my best support team, you know. He used to call me his cheerleader and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it knocked my, I couldn't go back to sleep. I was sobbing after 30 seconds going, no, but it's your music that they want. It's not me, <laughs> you know. And there were some great, great moments with that, that man, okay. And, and obviously, um, it shows in his music, okay. Now, he's, he's one of those people that he was a simple player. He didn't play, you know, fancy things. He played ukulele very simply. He had the chord structures basically down, and he sang. Okay, so there's the aptitude part, small, but he had this enormous attitude towards success and taking care of his Hawaiian people. Okay, and that's, that's the proof of the pudding. The aptitude and the attitude, the balance between those two. He had much more attitude than he had aptitude, the ability to play his stuff. But yet, it speaks right to your heart when Israel sings to you now. Thanks for coming in today. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. And thank you so much for joining us today on Greater Good TV. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodtelevision.com. Please join us again for another episode of Greater Good TV. Greater Good TV has been proudly presented by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking.